I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. My guest today is Alice Law. Alice is a stress management and holistic performance coach. She's an energy and intuitive mindfulness practitioner. She's a speaker and the host of the Lowali Life podcast. She teaches individuals as well as busy executives, entrepreneurs, and corporations how to strip away stress and guide them back to balance so that they can be calm focused, successful in all areas of their life and work. Alice is also the founder of the Luwali Life Calm Collective, which is her accessible online monthly membership that she created to guide women specifically on how to connect more deeply to the calmness of their mind so that they can make room for the voice of their intuition and soul. Alice's main mission in life is to help people live as free from stress and anxiety as possible. This is a mission that has been informed by her personal experience, something that I will hope to discuss with her openly as we start our conversation. Her holistic approach to coaching begins with her belief that the two things that are equally important to living a calm, clear, and energized life are the state of your mind and your energy, which she refers to as your soul and your ability to connect with that entity that we call the soul. Finally, of course, Alice is a very good friend, someone I have learned to admire and got close to after she interviewed me on her podcast and someone who I find for her young age to be wise in ways that have helped even me learn to find my stress and handle it really well. So lovely to have you. It took us a long time to organize this. And uh, yeah, you were like so chill. It's like, hey, can we do it uh, a week later? Sure, no problem. And I, <laughs> I, which speaks a lot that you actually practice what you preach. So you're a stress and performance coach. And you're clearly, I mean, in, in all of our dealings so far, you're clearly the furthest thing on the planet from stress. It's like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> First of all, what is a stress coach? Why is there the word performance in there? Yeah. And then how did you end up being a stress coach? Who does that? I know, exactly. It's a strange one. It's, um, <laughs> I do, yeah, stress management and so holistic performance. So what I mean by that is kind of... Um, Holistic performance, so you know, performance in your whole life because stress affects every part of our lives, you know, not just our work, it affects our relationships, our relationship with ourselves, our health and our happiness. So that's what I mean by the sort of performance part. So it's not performance like go ahead and sell more and, you know, make more money and buy a bigger car and so on. That's performance in terms of... No, it's not, but it's funny because the knock-on effects are usually people do better in work because when you are calmer you do tend to be better and more productive. So That's it true. kind of all filters through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and how long have you been doing that? I mean, this is probably nowadays is like your best time ever. It's like everyone is super stressed. I know it's the sad truth. It is. I mean, I've been doing it for three years, but I've been learning about it all for, I'd say, nine years because of my own my own life and how it all came to sort of be. I mean, I did not have a plan to be a stress coach <laughs> at all. I, <laughs> no, I didn't grow up when I was seven thinking, I want to be a stress coach. You know, I thought I actually wanted to be a fashion designer and did till I was, God, you know, till after university. And I even went to do fashion design at university and I went to go and do a, you know, placement in Net-A-Porter afterwards and, oh. and, you know, did all these internships since I was 16. It was really my sort of thing. And then um, I thought, okay, I'll leave Net-A-Porter when it's, my placement's done and I really want to set up my own fashion line. I'll get a job on the side because, you know, I need to earn some money. So I'll be a PA and I'll start, you know, working on my collection. And then just life had a completely other different plan for what it wanted for me to experience, I guess, because I, um, I always say growing up, I really didn't really know what stress was. I was really lucky, like very grateful, I, you know, to say that I had um, a really easy upbringing back then. <laughs> My parents were together and um, I was happy at school, you know, didn't have any issues there, like bullying, like so many kids have to deal with. And, you know, I was very happy and lived a very like supported and privileged life at that point. And everything was very easy. I didn't really understand what stress was. But I think there's always a sort of turning point in your life, isn't there, when there's a moment when something can happen and then everything changes. What was that for you? For me, it was, I was at home. I was uh, 21 at the time, yeah. And I come home from university for the weekend. And I have, um, my dad picked up the phone and it was my eldest sister, who was my half-sister from my dad's first marriage. And she'd rung and my dad's face just changed on the phone and I was like oh no you know you just wonder what's going on we're all in the kitchen and he came off the phone and he said to my mom you know oh Suzanne's found some um some tumors and they're gonna have to do a biopsy and we'll just see what happens kind of thing and my dad was very very sort of concerned obviously you know he'd actually had cancer when I was three and he'd lost his twin sister to cancer so he, you know, came off the phone and then from that moment, it turned out it was cancer. And it was like that moment was a sort of starting avalanche for everything that could go wrong all continually happening over a sort of eight year period. And um, that's why I sort of ended up being a stress coach, because I say, you know, now I experience what I call stress in every dimension of my life. It was my sister got ill and sadly we lost her after a four year battle, thought she'd won once and then it returned again. And then at the same time, just sadly, my dad's businesses went under and we had to sell our home and he became very depressed and turned to alcohol, was really very stressed with work and business and losing his daughter. And, you know, I sort of um, was very trying to balance my normal life, you know, having a breakup and doing all these normal things that you do in your 20s. And um, I just realized I was sort of, drowning really in anxiety and stress all the time and you know I really wanted to help my dad I found that probably you know one of the most painful things to watch someone you love I mean I lost my dad a year ago to stress-related illness but I always say I lost my sister once but I lost my dad twice because my sister you know very sadly died of cancer and it was horrible horrible thing to watch 
But my dad, we lost him mentally for the four years after she died completely. He was so overwhelmed with stress and grief. And then obviously losing him physically, you know, just over a year ago. But everything I now do is how I pulled myself out of this time. So I just thought I have to change something because I can't change anything that's going on around me. Everything was out of my control. It was all completely, you know, circumstantial and nothing I could do physically to change any of it. So I thought, right, well, I'm going to have to change myself because this isn't working for me. So I just started to develop a new way of sort of being and doing and thinking from immersing myself and just reading as much as I could about mindset and mindfulness and different spiritual teachings and energy healings and meditation and putting it all together in my own way. And I suddenly realized, wow, this has actually really helped me. And so I started to do it properly about three years ago. And having now lost dad a year ago, I just think it's such a sort of mission of mine to try and help people see that stress doesn't have to be this sort of end event. You know, we should actually manage it in terms of preventing it as much as curing it so that we can live a happy life and bounce back from these huge events that we can't control quicker. But yeah. Do you believe that life has that way of when something goes wrong, everything goes wrong? Is that, I mean, you often hear that, that something goes wrong and your sort of energy changes and then suddenly everything starts to collapse after. I know, it's a really funny one because I, I do believe it in some senses. You know, you always hear that expression, oh, bad things happen in threes. It's like an old <laughs> English quote. We have that in Arabic too, actually, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I remember I said to my mum after that time, I was like, bad things happen in threes. I was like, I think we're on nine now. I was like eight or something. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> if you're eight, then you're expecting the third of the third one, <laughs> the third group, yeah. You know, I don't think, obviously, these huge events that happen to people, you know, like losing people they love and awful things that happen, I don't know so much if they are just sort of on a spiral of they were always going to happen so much as it's that person's fate or the soul that you can't control as opposed to your own. And we're all just standing by sort of having the collateral damage of other people's journeys at the same time as our own and trying to sort of wade through it, if you know what I mean. That is so interesting. Elaborate on that. So did you see the movie Crash ever? It's basically a movie in... Yes, I have once, yeah. Yeah, it's in LA and it's, you know, it just tells the story of so many different people as they literally crash into an accident. And basically it shows you how connected we all are and how things are basically, my life is affected by yours and yours is affected by his and so on and so forth. But the way you described it is quite interesting because you're saying my soul is free. I can control my own destiny if you want, but I'm caught up in the collateral damage of the stories of others. That's really interesting. Elaborate on this. What do you mean by that? One of my best friends actually said to me, I remember when my dad, you know, when I was in my, so the, the depths of grief after dad dying, I'd always hoped that my dad would sort of come out of his depression and I'd get to have a few more years with him as his happiest, you know, best self, which sadly didn't happen. But I knew how much he was suffering for those four years. I mean, really, really mentally suffering. He was so, so different. He used to be so charismatic and life and soul of a room and amazing storyteller. And he just disappeared on that front and you just couldn't even have a conversation with him fully. And I remember crying a few months after he was dying. I was having a really bad day. And I was talking to one of my best friends and 
I was like, you know, I just, I've prayed, I've prayed for him to meet my future husband. I prayed that maybe we'd have time together, all these kind of things that as a daughter you so want, you know, with the father. And she turned to me and she said, you know, Al, that's true. And I'm so sorry for that. But she was like, don't think that God hasn't answered the prayer because maybe he was praying for something completely different to you. And I just thought to myself, after that, that's such a good point because I don't know what my dad was praying for. You know, I'm pretty sure that he wanted at this point to be with my sister, <laughs> wherever she is. And um, he'd given up on so many things that happened in his life with friends betraying him in business and his business is going under and his daughter losing. He just had had enough. And I think we did have very different prayers at that time. And so when I say sort of getting caught up in the collateral of other people's, that's what he wanted. And that's his soul's journey. Well, I can't control that, but it's going to affect me whether I want to or not, because he's my dad and I love him. So I think it's just, it's really weird and hard to decipher between your own journey's pain and someone else's getting in sort of mixed in with yours, if that makes sense. That is Yoda quality, what you just said. It's totally, this is total understanding of the truth of who we are. I mean, when you really, really think about it, one of the things I completely held on to when Ali left was the idea of I really never, when your brain tells you I lost my son, but he was never mine. He was his, it was his life his path, and I was just a supporting actor in it. It was his movie. And I believe all of us, before we die, we get asked. No scientific proof whatsoever other than near-death experiences where you often get people who come back, tell you, they asked me, do you want to stay? And I said, yeah, probably I like it here. But then they said, you know, but there is something you need to complete down there. You have to chew, uh, you know, 14 gums and help someone out and whatever. And so I came back, right? And so I believe that we get asked. We get asked, is it, are you ready? Is it time? Do you want to go? And yeah, I believe that when Ali got asked and so what would happen as a result of his departure, then he probably said, yeah, good deal. I'll take that. You know, it's nice up here. And and Papa's going to work on some useful stuff. So you took that path of, I mean, please don't get me wrong, but most 21-year-olds who would have gone through what you would have gone through would have just gone to drugs instead of trying to learn about stress and mindfulness and so on. I mean, did you try a bit of that at least? I did. I will be honest and say, like, I think at that time as well, a lot of my friends were partying and it was really easy to sort of have my grief sort of swept up in that and people not really realize because you know when everyone's early 20s and going out all the time it can be really easy to I think now for example if I was doing that at this stage after my dad died everyone would notice but doing that when my sister died <laughs> everyone would be like Alice isn't okay okay but doing that you know at that time after my sister died it didn't really get noticed except for my best friends who I was living with said you know I think you're going out too much at this time and I remember being a bit defensive because I just wasn't ready to hear it at that point I was like you know everyone's doing it but I know from experiencing now like two griefs one when because I was still learning and trying to go through that when my sister was ill and I was trying to, you know, mask it all and get through it. And then from then doing that side where I was just trying to put a plaster on it and learn to then learning and then losing my dad and thinking, I know too much now. 
I know I can't put a plaster on it, I won't. <laughs> that, I mean, it was so, so painful, but I moved through it in a more honest way. People always say, you know, you have to move through grief, but I never really understood that concept until obviously it happens to you. You don't really understand what you move through grief, you know, what are the stages of grief and all those things. But I think to actually have to sit with it properly when I was 29, when I lost my dad, instead of putting a bandage on it with partying, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But I'm so, so grateful that I did because I know it's possible. And I've had a lot of moments that I really have got to know myself on a way deeper level than I could possibly have imagined as well. I think, you know, you see some horrible sides to yourself in grief as well as, you know, some empathetic sides that you didn't know were there as well. I don't think there are horrible sides to us, but yes, some real shit comes out in grief. So tell us what you learned, Alice. What is stress? Why do we get stressed? What should we do about it? Yeah, I mean, for me, stress is, stress occurs when we find ourselves not with certainty. A lot of the time, you know, uncertainty causes us so much stress. That's why this year, obviously, for people, stress has risen yet again. It's always that change, you know, what we think is going to happen. Something changes. That's why a loss is such a big part with stress. And that could be loss of, you know, your job, loss of your home, loss of anything, not just a person. And that always causes stress because I think we as humans are so, and we've talked about this before, actually, when you were on my podcast, we talked about how the need to control and you were saying how you used to be such a control freak and so many of us do try to control everything. And I think a huge part of stress comes from needing to control, trying to control. I was so stressed for those years when I was, my dad got, for example, he got diagnosed the week after, the, actually two days after my sister's funeral, my dad got rushed to hospital and he had a um, blood clot on his leg. And because of that, because he hadn't really moved around for you know a few weeks, he was just lying on his bed, so sad. And he had a blood clot, and because of that, they did a scan of his body, and they found that he had um, cancer again. And he took the stance that he was like, no, he'd just given up, and he was like, it's not growing, I'm not going to do any treatment for it. And um, he didn't, and it's not actually what we lost him to. So he, <laughs> he was right in that sense. But I was so trying to control him. How could you not take the options that you have? How can you, you know, every week, every day, ringing him, being like, have you spoken to the doctor yet? Have you had that test, have you got that back? And he would just sort of push it back, but, oh, it's coming back in, you know, a few months. And I caused myself so much stress from trying to control his actions. And I think people cause themselves so much stress from trying to control other people and the outcomes that they produce instead of the outcomes they produce themselves. So uncertainty and control, I think, are two of the greatest factors in stress. And then the other side I've learned is just that sadly, if we are living in the, you know, the modern day world, we're absorbing stress all the time without realizing. And that's the sort of truth of it is if you are online all day and haven't gone for a walk or you haven't connected to your soul just by sitting in nature for one minute that day, then of course you're going to be stressed because you're completely misaligned with the very essence that is your body. We're all part of nature. So pretending we're just robots on digital sort of constant digital flow and we're going to be completely unstressed from having that all the time I think is so unrealistic with the larger events in life I definitely see it as uncertainty and control being the two biggest factors need to control 
and in general all day, just people absorbing the micro doses of stress, as they say. So, you know, we have macro, which are the things I've been talking about, you know, like losing people or, you know, these big life events that change our lives without us wanting them to. Um, and we expect them to cause us stress because of course they would. But then there's the micro stress doses that we're just absorbing all day, you know, just the upsetting news headline and all these little things. And I think we've become so used to all that, all those headlines, all those things being thrown at us that we don't actually realize how much stress it's causing our bodies and our minds without us even realizing that some people wake up one day and think, I'm so anxious that I've got nothing going on in my life. But you always do, unless you're on a beach in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I often joke that even people who are on a beach in the middle of nowhere with a coconut in one hand and a music player in the other basically start to think, what am I missing out on the other side? It's like, should I switch the BBC on? Should I just find out what's going on in CNN? We just want to stress ourselves. I have to say, though, I was so stressed last Friday and I didn't even know it. And when you talk about the little things, I have to admit it is the little things that creep up on you. When, you know, in Islam and the Middle East, we say that it's actually easier to be patient on hardship than it is when there is no hardship. When you lose a child, you go like, okay, oh, what are we going to do about this? There is an event, there's something you can focus on, but those micro doses for me are actually quite pleasant. I mean, I'm talking about happiness and because of the current situation and lockdowns all over Europe again, I'm doing many more talks, like sometimes two or three a day. I have my startup, of course, in the middle of all of this in demand and so on. And none of it is really crazy event, but you just add those tiny little micro doses. And on Friday, I was like, if I don't stop this weekend, I'll probably die. It's like, you know, I really felt that hold on, hold on, wake up. There is something that needs to be done here. And it's those micro things. How do we recognize them? They're just injected in us all the time. I mean, I think with the micro, it's, we don't even need to recognize. I think we need to know that if we are in this planet, in these sort of countries that are having, you know, digital times all the time, fast paced, you're going to have them. So don't even think about sort of recognizing what your micro stress doses are so much as how you're going to calm them down. For example, making sure you do five minutes of meditation every day in whatever form that comes, whether that's just sitting and breathing deeply. You know, we don't even breathe properly when we're stressed. We breathe shallowly from our chest instead of, you know, using our diaphragm and filling up our whole bodies and just sitting, for example, with a, I say to clients, you know, do a smile meditation. Close your eyes and smile for two minutes, you know, get your body to trick your brain into thinking you're actually happy and it will release, you know, the happy hormones and you'll feel better and just taking tiny little steps. I think people think with stress, obviously, you know, when you are chronically stressed, there are some larger steps you might need to go through. You know, when I work with one client, I have a sort of four pillar process I work off, which is, I always laugh, it's called triple PI, which is kind of like PPI and some of my clients are stressed in the finance world. So I was like, I just can't not name it this. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's sort of working on your perspective because how we shift our perspective on stress has a huge impact and how it affects us because equally what I find stressful you might not find stressful I always remember I had someone on my podcast who he said he grew up in hospitals because his um his dad was really ill when he was young and he was constantly in hospital and so he didn't find hospital a stressful thing because he'd grown up around it whereas being thrown into hospital 
I found going to hospital with my dad or my sister really stressful because I'd never had to deal with being in a hospital environment before. So I think it's all part of your perspective, your own experiences. You know, we're all the product of our own experiences, but you have to shift your perspective on your own stress and then look at how you can bring presence into every day. You know, that's always my second pillar. Like, how can you make sure that even when you're at your computer, you're still finding some presence in that moment, taking a step back and just taking a breath, connecting to yourself. And uh, the other two, I always work with people on a purpose and intuition. So I'm massively mind and sort of soul based. I think that's where like our greatest strength lies. Spirituality and logic combined and especially with stress, you know, we can have all these ideas like I need to do this and this and this to get my mindset right and be mindful and all these things. But equally, I think you can have as calm a mind as you like, but if your soul is stressed because you're going against what you're here to do or your purpose or your energy is out of alignment because you haven't really sat with it and, uh, you know, made sure it's grounded, then you're going to be stressed either way. So I think the two really work work hand in hand and I, I wish everyone could learn about sort of I wish we could learn about energy at school because I think, think it would be something that would be so worthwhile we do we do I learned really good physics in school not that kind of energy but the, the physics kinds of energy which are useful but I think not entirely what we need to focus on I'm not going to let you off the hook too quickly on those because I think each of those points deserves a little bit more explanation because you position them as very, very doable. It's like shift your perspective, be present, find your purpose. Yeah, right. That's easy. And use your intuition, right? It's like they seem to come natural to most of us, but they don't. And I actually want to start specifically with intuition because intuition is a big part of my big mission, a big part of One Billion Happy, which is really not mentioned openly is a pillar that I call empower the feminine and the idea that we have built a hyper-masculine world that is basically unable to walk because it's just walking with one leg, really. It's limping. And when you think about it, intuition is the opposite of linear thinking, is the opposite of the masculine way of thinking. And uh, we don't even let it happen, let alone listen to it when it happens. So tell me more about that. I heard you once in one of your talks say that most of your clients are men and you're obviously feminine. So what is that? What's that intuition thing? Yeah, I mean, I love intuition because I truly believe we're all born with an intuition. It's just that a bit like the layers of the world come on top of us for stress and make us stress instead of calm. The same happens with our intuition and we kind of shut off that ability because like you say, we've been in this logic, logic, logic world for so long, but that's been the sort of greatest strength in people's eyes, logic and um, intuition. It's like, for me, it's that inner compass. And so I always say, if I'm teaching someone about their intuition, it's almost like you have to think, if I'm asking a question, you asked me a question now, and I wanted to respond to something that was intuitively instead of up here, I would make sure that I actually feel the words coming from my center instead of my mind and it's about getting people to sit with that and do meditations so they can actually discover the difference between when words are coming from their head from their logical mind and when they're actually coming from their heart space and I do really believe you can feel it and I think 
intuitive as well. I've, I've had such weird moments with intuition, I have to say. <laughs> such weird moments where I knew, I knew my dad had died before I picked up the phone. You know, I looked at the phone, I saw missed calls from certain people. I'd gone to London to pick up some clothes for a wedding because my dad was in hospital and he'd been in there for a month. We weren't expecting to lose him and he was said he wanted to come home and you know, live out his, his days at home. It was just sort of our mission to get him home. And so I said, I've got to go to a very old friend of mine's wedding. And I realized I didn't have anything to wear. <laughs> we grew up in Yorkshire. Um, I lived in London. So I said, I'm going to go to London for one night. And um, sadly, that was the night my dad came home and we lost him and he died peacefully at home. But I intuitively knew without even, it wasn't in my head. It was like a signal had been sent to me that... When I looked at my phone, I was on trying a dress at one of my friend's house because I didn't realize I didn't have anything to wear and I wanted to go and borrow something of someone for this wedding. And I looked at my phone and I had a missed call from my mum, and I just knew. I just knew he died. And I didn't know how I knew. It was just an intuitive feeling. And I think so often we get these intuitive hits, so to speak, and we shut them off thinking, oh, no, I'm making this up. I'm making this up in my head because I don't have any proof for it. You know, I could have done that in that moment, but... Instead, I called my mom and before she'd even spoken, I said, dad's died, hasn't she? And he was like, she said, yes. And I think, you know, all these moments in life where you have those gut feelings, you have to go with it. That's how we strengthen our intuition. And there's that phrase of, you know, when you shut off your intuition, it's because you're denying what it's been telling you and it gets quieter and quieter. And the louder it gets is the more we listen to it and actually follow it and then try it again and follow that. And it's really about, yeah, I always say getting people to understand where that space is in your body, where you feel your own intuition. Some people might feel it in their stomach. Some people might feel it in their chest or in their throat or their head. And um, it's just all about finding where that space is for you and knowing that that's your intuition instead of your logic. Mm. Did you ever read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, Blink? No. So of all of the left-brainers in the world, I think Malcolm Gladwell is an incredible thinker. And that book was written in a left-brained way to tell people, trust your intuition, to tell people that there is something more than your logic. And I really, really recall that when you were talking because I love the exercise. This actually is exactly what I tell people when they ask me of find out if what you're thinking about or what you're believing or what you think you're feeling is coming from the head or from the heart. And there is a very big difference between them. If there is logic to it and a justification and a flow and you can explain it, then it's coming from your head, which basically means it's also coming from your mother's head and your father's head and your teacher's head and everyone that's ever conditioned you to actually deny yourself the ability to just simply say, you know what? I just feel like it. I feel I want to do this. I feel that there is something right in this. And so many of us are unable to trust that. And I love the exercise that you say, which is give it a chance. And then you will realize that it's actually there and alive. And then give it another chance and strengthen it rather than killing it. I think that's a, a wonderful way of looking at it. But how does intuition help with stress then? I always say with stress can cloud our minds from fear-based decisions. You know, when we're stressed, we tend to act out of fear or out of a stress headspace instead of actually what we might want to do, whether that's even in a decision in business or whether it's in your personal life or anything. And so 
intuition it's that clear clarity that you should you get when you're not stressed because you're not in your head stressing out ruminating about everything going over worrying about the past just sitting in calmness you know i think calmness is one of the greatest skills in the world because it really brings out the very best of ourselves it brings out the best of you as a soul as a person but it also brings out the best in your decision making because when you make decisions from a calm knowing place within instead of a fearful place up here in your head then you're going to make the right decisions for you i always say as well you know if you want to tap intuition ask your body a great exercise I say for people is sit still, close your eyes and say out loud to your body, body, show me a clear yes. And just sit and notice what feelings come up in your body in a certain place when it's trying to show you a yes for something. It could be nice feeling in your stomach or your chest. It could be a little feeling in your shoulder, whatever it is for you. And then say out loud, I'm going to say thank you. And then say out loud, body, now please show me a clear no. And get okay. to understand the difference between the two because your body really can show you with your intuition in those ways. Hmm. I never tried that before. I definitely understand that all emotions have a physical signature. Did never thought that intuition has a physical signature. Okay, I shall tell you. I'll text you and say how. Yeah, try it out. <laughs> yeah. Are you guys listening? Find me and Alice on social media and tell us what you're physical signature how does your body feel when when it wants to say yes when it wants to say i feel this is right i think that's a very interesting exercise talk about purpose again you just went through it in the passing it's like you can you will be stressed if you're trying to run through your life trying to do things but those things are not the reason why you're here easy to say alice how do you know the reason that you're here I think there's two sides to purpose, I think for stress anyway. You know, the, the purpose for stress, I say, bring purpose into every day to make you feel less stressed because the kinder we are and the more we give outside of ourselves and find purpose in the smallest things, you know, in the little things we do throughout the day, whether it's smiling to a stranger in the street and seeing that interaction back, those will decrease stress. You know, that's now proven. Science has shown that one of the greatest battles for stress battlers is kindness. And so, you know, how can you bring purpose in the tiniest ways into your day every day so that you feel calmer and that you are being kind to yourself and others? But then the larger purpose, I truly believe, I mean, that your purpose finds you instead of you finding it. I definitely had no idea what my purpose was. I really didn't. Like I said, I, I truly believe now that my purpose is to bring balance and harmony to people in whatever way that comes out. But I have no idea that was what that was when I was younger. And it definitely found me in a hard way as well, not in a fun way. You know, I, wished, <laughs> I wish my sort of stress school had been easy, but you know, it wasn't and for the best reasons because I love talking to people about this and from a place of actually experiencing it. So I do think a purpose finds you. And it's about just, again, being in tune with your intuition and looking at actually what lights you up, you know, what makes you happy, what are you being guided to without you even realizing. There's always multiple conversations, I think, you know, the universe gives us those conversations, those signs, and then eventually just a massive sideswipe if you're not listening. So in whatever way that comes, it's, <laughs> it's always better to listen before the sideswipe, but so many of us don't. I totally agree, totally agree. 
Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I do believe, yeah, your purpose finds you. And so it's just about being open to listening so that it can find you quicker. I believe a hundred percent that your purpose finds you. I don't think it finds you quicker. It's because there is no time to it finding you. I think it finds you when you're ready. It finds you when you've done the work. It finds you when you've connected with yourself. And I think the idea again is, can you listen? Can you listen to if your body, if your intuition, if your heart are telling you certain things that they want you to do, they want you to be, can you listen and be that person? And so the more you become that person, the better fit you are to start executing on your purpose. Ali used to uh, recommend, uh, I don't remember the exact name, a documentary on Netflix, Gyro something, you know, a sushi maker, sushi chef, like one of the most famous in Japan. And his story of how he developed into becoming so good at it and so famous worldwide was basically a, an idea of conforming to what your intuition is telling you to do it, you know, conforming to who you really are inside. I find that to be quite inspiring, if you ask me. Kindness. You said kindness is the best cure to stress. Yeah, I do believe that. I mean, they've shown, you know, there's been studies that show the reaction in your body changes when you're kind to being able to calm yourself down. It's the complete opposite to how your body reacts when you're stressed and how your body reacts when you're kind. But I think as well, in terms of kindness to yourself, is such an important part of dealing with stress. Because we are so hard on ourselves. We're always, you know, I should be doing this, the next thing, comparing all these different things that people can, can do and feel a lot of anxiety around looking around in the world. Everyone's so aware of what everyone's doing now because we're so connected because of social media and all these things. But we end up being quite unkind to ourselves. Sometimes I speak to clients and I have a sort of um, clicker. I say, right, if you've had really bad thoughts, I'd like to know how many times you've said a horrible thing to yourself today. And that's the first <laughs> process. Becoming aware. Yeah. <laughs> Just becoming aware like a train clicker, you know, when they take the tickets. Or, and so... Um, do you get some of those clients that you give the clicker to and they go to yeah, it's just immediately like, as the, the minute <laughs> you give them the clicker, there is one bad thought. <laughs> one bad thought and they go to... <laughs> I have one client who's like, I don't want to show you. I was like, okay, that's enough. That's I know that we know where we need to start. But it is because we are just also, we can be so unkind to ourselves. And I think kindness is one of the greatest change agents for humanity. It has the ability to change ourselves and it has the ability to change everything around us. But I think often it's overlooked, sadly. But I think, I hope that now more than ever, especially this year, people are realizing how important it is to be kind to themselves and kind to other people again. Yeah. Hmm. You're so wonderful. With this very quiet voice of yours, you seem to be very calm. Spill the beats. Do you sometimes, after <laughs> recording a podcast, do you run around the house and kick balls and scream in rage and stuff like that? <laughs> scream. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, we all have our moments, don't we? I, um, I know I have a calm energy. I think I always had a calm energy as a child. My mom always used to say that to me. You know, she was like, you've always been very calm since you were younger. So I think maybe that was always a part of me. But... I definitely, you know, we all get stressed. You know, that would be impossible for us not to, if everyone's human. I'd love to say that I never, ever, ever get stressed. And, you know, I can definitely have everyone be not stressed, but it's not so much about never getting stressed. It's about how quickly you can come back from it. I know I can turn stress around 
within a matter of minutes instead of sitting in it with a matter of weeks or days. And that's what I love and know it's important and what I try to tell people, you know, I'm not going to make wave magic wand and tell you, you'll never be stressed ever again because that's not the truth, but you will be able to really bounce back from it quickly. Uh, I can only tell you that Ali and your sister, what's her name? Suzanne. Yeah, Suzanne and Ali are uh, sitting watching this conversation and smiling. I'm sure Suzanne is super proud of what her sister did. And dad is looking down and saying, hey, good that you understood my prayer. Smart girl. (laughs) Oh my God, Alice, this normally would be the time where I would actually end the episode and go like, okay, that's it, 45 minutes, you know, that's good enough. But I'm enjoying this so much and I'd like to continue. Do you have time? Can we keep going? Would love to. Great. So guys, join us in part two. I'm going to keep recording. I have quite a few questions I want to ask Alice. So I'm going to keep recording. We'll put it in part two. Come back for part two. I will ask her about, I think, one of the biggest reasons for stress for a woman in her 30s, which I get a lot of questions from my followers on and how to handle that. We will discuss the relationship between stress and spirituality, or as Alice sometimes puts it, our soul, if you want. And then uh, we will discuss some of my favorite quotes that I wrote down from things that Alice has online or in talks and so on and so forth. So join us in part two. We'll see you there in a minute. And for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for Mo Gaudet, Slow Mo, Soul for Happy or One Billion Happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, there is always time to slow down. Until next time, stay happy.